Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. I'm uh, standing before you today, uh, living proof of the, uh, of the danger you're in if you talk to Brian about his sermons. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, remember last week, one of the key things he said, our hearts should break. Our hearts should be breaking for the lost, for those who don't know Christ. And uh, thank you, Brian has himself admitted, my heart isn't breaking. And I think that's true for many of us. Our hearts aren't actually breaking uh, for the lost. We were talking about this and he said, oh, by the way, you can do next week's sermon. So here we are. <laughs> I, I think he just wanted a week off, actually. That's, that's the problem. So the, the, the main title today is, what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? We say that to our kids all the time, um, but it's a good question for all of us to think about. What on earth are we doing? Uh, God has put us on this planet, and uh, you know he's given us gifts and abilities, and we need to think to ourselves, well, what are we going to do with our time on earth? Uh, what are we going to achieve? What, what's our aim? What's our goal? Uh, what's worth pursuing? Uh, what's worth spending our time and energy and money on achieving, uh, you know, and there's a whole list of things that we might want to achieve in this world. Uh, we want to cure cancer, that would be a good one, okay? Good. Anybody out there curing cancer? You got my vote, good for that. Uh, we, we might want to be an Olympian. Could you represent Namibia at the Olympics? Woof, that would be a good thing. Uh, a train driver, all children want to be train drivers, okay. Well, all boy, oh, you can't say boy, boy children, what? All girl children want to be train drivers as well, yes, okay. <laughs> What about fame and fortune? Uh, I don't know, are they here today? Fortune and patience? I, I just love those, that couple, what a great name. Patience always, she's found her fortune and fortune always has patience, so that's brilliant. <laughs> ah, fantastic. But all of these things that we could achieve, even curing cancer, are actually only temporal, temporary goals. They're only things that belong on this earth and when this earth disappears, when Jesus comes back and, and rolls up this, this heaven and this earth away, uh, all these things will disappear. Um, I think there's something greater that all of us can aim at and, and something that has an eternal impact and lasts forever. Uh, yeah, so we can, have it, we can have temporal earthly goals, but as Christians, we want to have eternal goals. We can achieve something that has eternal significance and lasts forever. And, and that is to share the gospel with the lost and bring them to Christ, bring them to salvation, change their eternal destiny from, from hell to heaven. That's, that's an eternal impact. That's something we can work on and, and achieve for eternity. And we'll come back to that thought later. Uh, there is actually a, an English Christian writer who is unsurpassed uh, in his ability to give us an eternal perspective. And you'll be amazed to know that his name is C.S. Lewis. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, this quote comes from a sermon he preached in Oxford, uh, 1942 or something. Uh, it's called The Weight of Glory. You can download it as a PDF from the internet. It's absolutely brilliant. I, I read it once a year or more often than that. It's, it's a fantastic little sermon. Uh, but trying to give the people of Oxford and all the PDF readers around the world uh, uh, the, the, a vision of eternal significance, what, an eternal perspective. What are we doing? What can we achieve in eternity? 
And he says this about people, all people on earth that you bump into. He says it is a serious thing to live in a society, in a society, start again, not a society. It's, it is be a very serious thing to live in a society. <laughs> This was a great big one. It, I'll start again. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible, possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Yeah. Or... Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Everybody we meet. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these eternal destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and consideration proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people, says C.S. Lewis, who himself was far from ordinary. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their, and their life to ours is as the life of a mosquito or a mayfly or a gnat. Yeah, we will outlast all the world's civilizations. We, we will live for longer than all of these things. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, ignore and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What a great way to be thinking about people here and now thinking about our eternal destiny and, and helping people change their eternal destiny. So uh, my goal on the talk this morning is to, is to make sure that New Song Family Church is, is not an inward-looking church only. I need six volunteers, the first six people to the front, please. Woof. Come on, first six. Wow, what a rush. Fantastic. Great. One. <laughs> we need six. Two. Thank you. Three, fantastic. Four, two more to go. Go on, go on, New Song Family Church. You can count. Five, thank you, Minty, advertising. Seven, seven, we'll go for seven. Seven's fine. Can, can we make a circle, you seven guys? Can, no, no, come on, come on, come on, come on. Stood up, go, come on. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, make, make one circle, but all facing inwards, please. Make one circle. You can even hold hands, isn't that nice? Okay, they're Christians, okay. Okay, you can hold hands if that's right. Okay, so this, this is a church, okay, and it's an inward-facing church. They're all looking after each other. They're focused on each other, okay? Uh, but that's all they do, okay? Very good member care, but that's it. They're just looking after each other. And God is standing outside the circle saying, Hey, guys, I appointed you to go and tell, other pe tell the lost, you know? And they're all, mm, how am I going to bless this church when this church is not fulfilling the purpose for which... I established it. Okay, so guys, you can all now, each of you can turn outwards, so face the outwards, okay? So God's saying, I want my church to be outward looking, to have an outward focus, okay? Yeah, so it's good to be focused inward and care for one another, yes, that's one of the jobs of the church, but the church should also be this, okay? 
theologically speaking, if a church is just if a church is just this, just an evangelism thing, that's also not a proper church because they're all ignoring each other. Actually, you can see. Okay, so now, guys, would you like to turn around, spin a bit? Okay, so this is now the ideal church. Get the idea? Okay, they're 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 up for it. They're sensitive. They're being led by the spirit. <laughs> they're. They're being led by the Spirit to either look inward and help each other and support each other, and also to be not to forget the world out there, and they're looking outward as well. Thank you, guys. Give them a round of applause. Yes, okay. <laughs> Excellent. So I don't want New Song Family Church to be Church A, all standing in a circle, all looking at each other. Okay. This sermon is meant to help us to turn around and, and consider facing outwards. Have a have an external focus as well as an internal focus. Yeah, welcome to uh, interpretive dance at New Song <laughs> Family Church. Maybe we need to be New Dance Family Church. You have to be careful how you say that, actually. Um, if you say New Dance Family Church, the, we won't have to go out to the world. The world will come in to see New Dance Family Church. Okay, you get the point. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, so what this will not be is a how-to class on how to evangelize, how to do evangelism, how to do the four spiritual laws and a bridge to life and all these tracks. It's, it's not going to be a how-to class. I just, I just want us to, to consider the, the challenge of being outward focused, to make sure we are not only inward focused to one another, but as New Song Family Church, we also have an outward focus as well. It's more of a, a motivation to be mission-minded. That's, that's the goal this morning. Um, but I will throw in a couple of practical things as well. So that's what this is about. It's, it's, it's more um, Bible verses to get us thinking about having an outward focus as well as an inward focus. You get the point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'd like to kick off with some quotes uh, to help us get motivated for mission. Uh, and the first one is uh, some, something that a Rundu missionary in, in my mission said to me several years ago. So not Brian. Okay. Uh, this Rundu missionary said to me several years ago, you spend too much time with your non-Christian friends. Okay, okay, thank you very much. That's, that's a negative mission-focused quote, okay? So we, we had all come from the UK to Namibia as missionaries to reach the lost in Rundu. <clears throat> and, and this missionary was accusing me of spending too much time with my non-Christian friends. So I thought, that's exactly why I came. I came to Rundu for my non-Christian friends. Anyway. So that's a kind of negative quote. Okay, don't do that. Okay, spend time with your non-Christian friends. Have you, I mean, there are some churches, that are so, they're facing inward. Their, their, their church program, their weekly church program, there's, there's things happening every night, Saturday, and of course Sunday there's three services. Okay, when do these guys actually go out into the world and meet non-Christians? Because they're in church all the time. Okay, so that's the inward focusing church. Uh, another quote is actually a, a friend of mine from university. Um, she was a, a chemist, biochemist, and uh, in, uh, we were all in first year, and uh, there was uh, a girl, a fellow, a fellow student in her class, uh, who, who uh, my friend knew God was asking her to share the gospel with. Please share the gospel with that girl. She needs to hear. Okay. Uh, and my friend said, yeah, okay, you know, we've, we've, I don't really know her. Uh, we, I get to know her first. Um, you know, I, you can't just go up and bash someone with the Bible. That's very rude. Um, you know, okay, Lord, I, I will, but just not yet. You know, that kind of thing. And this went on for a while. Um, and the Lord kept saying, you talk, talk to her, talk to her. And she kept putting it off. And eventually she had a dream. 
And, and, and that dream was the judgment day. Jesus on the throne and, and all the world's population uh, before the throne. And Jesus is doing the, the sheep and the goats thing, you know, the judgment. So one group going off to heaven, uh, being separated for heaven, and one group being separated for hell and, and being led away. And my friend said, we, the Christians were standing there. We were watching the lost being led away to hell. And as my friend looked, the, the, this, the friend of hers in the class who God was asking her to talk to, uh, just before she was about to be led through the portal downwards, she turned round, looked at my friend in the eye and said, you never told me. <laughs> wow. You never told me. And Ruth, whoops, sorry. Ruth said they were, they were in the same hall together. They went down to breakfast together. She sat down, she saw, saw her at breakfast. She sat down to next to her at the breakfast and shared the gospel with her over breakfast and she became a Christian over breakfast, <laughs> just like that. And, you know, but that's the urgency. Wouldn't, you know, we don't want people looking at us as they get led away to hell and say, you never told me. This is the time, this is the day of salvation. We have this opportunity. You see, in heaven, we can be inward focused, yeah? There is only the church in heaven. There are no lost people in, he in heaven. <laughs> this earth is the time that we have to talk to non-Christians about salvation and about the gospel. In he heaven will be too late for that. <laughs> now, now is the time we need to be doing this stuff. Uh, there was a 19th century cricketer uh, called C.T. Studd. Uh, you cricket fans uh, who, uh, thank goodness the cricket's this afternoon, not this morning. Uh, so... <laughs> The, you cricket fans, you might know when uh, England first lost a test match to Australia, uh, the, Aussie, the Aussie teams took the bales of the stumps and burnt them uh, and, and took the ashes and put them in an urn, like a cremation ceremony, and put them in a, a cremation urn. And this is the, the little ashes of, they gave the, the ashes of English cricket, which, which is, of course is now what England and Australia fight over. They fight for the ashes. Um, uh, and, and this cricketer, uh, or this missionary, uh, his name is C.T. Studd, he was actually, he was actually the final, one of the final two batsmen who lost the game. He didn't lose the game. The other guy lost the game, the Ashes. Um, so he was there. He was in the Ashes test. Can you believe it? Um, there's a little, the poem, the, the Aussies wrote a nice little snarky uh, poem on the Ashes. They wrote it very small on the urn. And C.T. Studd's name is actually on the Ashes urn. Can you believe it? There you go. So he's famous for something. So, so C.T. Studd achieved something worldly. He lost to the Australians at cricket, okay? Uh, that's very English, okay? How to be an English hero? Uh, number one, to try. Number two, to fail. And number three, most important, to die trying. Okay, that's, that's the three. So he didn't die, but he almost two out of three is not bad, okay? So he was a, a nearly a proper English hero, but God spared him. He lived uh, and he became a missionary. And this, this is his little poem that he, that you can still find on the internet. This is his little poem that governed his life as a Christian. He said, some may want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. <laughs> Just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Some may want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You see, to be too internally focused, a church turning inwards is going to miss all that. We might have an objection. Last week was Brian the missionary telling us about 
reaching out to the lost. This week, it's gunning the missionary, telling us to reach out to the lost. Oh, yeah, missionaries, come on. Uh, you know, this is what missionaries do. It's our day job. Our day job is to do mission and tell other people to do it as well. That's what we do. That's why we're here. That's why Brian chose me to do this morning talk, yes? No. Okay. <laughs> we are all missionaries. We are all called to mission. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Uh, can anybody remember the two to before we got onto mission last week? What was the first topic that Brian brought up from that Hebrews? Mission was second. What was the first one? Brian, can you remember? <laughs> I'm sure Brian remembers. What was what was his first topic? The, the first thing, the first challenge. Nobody remembers. Brian, you're going to do something about this guy. <laughs> Can you remember the first? Whoops, the first thing he was saying, you know, our doubts, our doubts and faith, our faith problems and our doubts. You know, do we have doubts and how do we, how do we overcome our? Doubt? Remember that? Remember that? Have you seen this? Did you, did you did you know what came before the Great Commission? This is fascinating. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine? These are the eleven. Okay, some doubted. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We know the, second, we know the Great Commission words. We can, we can recite those. But did you see how they began? They worshipped him, but some doubted. That's exactly what Brian was talking about last week. He moved from doubt and, and struggling with faith and, and you know, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and we moved over to mission, okay? And here it is again. Now, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. Maybe, maybe as we struggle with faith and, 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 and doubts and, and we, we ask Lord to, to increase our faith and, you know, all this stuff, maybe mission and outreach is part of the solution. Yeah? You see, here it is. Okay. Some doubted, and then he sent them out on mission. Maybe if we are so focused on our own spiritual health and wealth, and we forget the outside people, we're so in, we're not just, we had a group of six turned in on, if we're just a group of one turned inwards, if we're just focused on ourselves and worried about our own spiritual life, maybe it's not surprising that we we have faith and doubts because the answer is actually to get out and share our faith. <laughs> Maybe we'll find as we go out and share it, our faith is get stronger. Okay, it's, I'm, I'm, it's just a proposal, something to think about. Something to think about. So we had the two things last week in Brian's sermon, and here it is in the Great Commission. We've got doubt and sending uh, in the same context, and and maybe one is the solution to the other. Um, as Christians, we can be so worried about our own spiritual health. We have a kind of spiritual what would you call it? A spiritual hypochondriac, aren't we? We're, we're so worried about our spiritual health, we'll, we will never achieve spiritual health. You, you, you meet people who are so worried about their health that they're always sick. Yeah. We can be so focused on our health that we're sick. We can be so focused on our own spiritual health that we only suffer from doubts and lack of faith. Maybe the answer is to turn outward and share the faith that we have. <laughs> I find that fascinating. So the, there are, at the moment of the Great Commission, there are doubts. There are disciples struggling with doubt. Oh, the greatest doubter? Who's the great, the, of the 11 disciples who were there? Who, who was the one who had the most doubt? 
Thomas, Doubting Thomas. We even call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, Jesus gave him a special one-off appearance. Jesus came back to the upper room a second time just for Thomas uh, and, and, and restored his faith. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Uh, and, and his faith was sure. He, he was sent off to southern, and he ended up in southern India. He, he planted the church in, in, in southern India. It's still there today. The, the, the Thomas Church, the Thomas churches are still there in southern India, and he was actually martyred in, in the south of India. Um, so uh, Doubting Thomas turned into a great pine, the missionary to India. Fantastic. Uh, let's define our terms a little bit. Uh, we've talked about mission and missionaries. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse, we're going to be a lot of verses this morning, but they're all famous verses. They're all verses that you know, so I haven't put them on, on the screen or anything. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, uh, you, wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. We are not all missionaries like Brian and me. We are not all people like that, but we are all witnesses. Get the idea? Okay. We are not all missionaries, but we are all witnesses. So defining terms. So we, we need a quick definition of terms. I would say, Brian, you, you can ask, argue with this. A, a missionary is someone who, who gets their living from sharing the gospel or teaching the gospel. It's, they're a it's, it's a profession or a career or a job. Does that make sense? Is that what, you, we can call a missionary is a witness who just happens to get his living from witnessing. That's a missionary. Okay? We raise our support. Uh, we, we, buy, we buy bread with the money that other Christians give us uh, to do the, the work that we do. Um, so a missionary is someone who gets, who gets their daily bread from, from their work. Uh, when I was in Zimbabwe with another young English guy, uh, we were teaching there in the Eastern Highlands, and he didn't like the word missionary. It had negative overtones in Southern Africa. You know, so often the, the missionaries went hand in hand with, uh, with the colonial project. Uh, you know, Bishop Tutu's statement, um, uh, when the missionaries came, uh, we, had the uh, we had the land and they had the Bible. The missionaries said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. And then we had the Bible and they had the land. Yeah, okay, it's true, okay. But, but the, the word, the missionaries got caught up in, in the colonial project. And my, my colleague didn't like the word missionary. He said, we should change the name. We shouldn't, we shouldn't use the word missionary anymore. It's okay to be a missionary. It's okay to be supported and be a professional uh, witness and a professional sharer of the gospel, make it your career. That's all right. But let's change the name, especially here in Southern Africa. And he said, you know what? We need to be called something else. We need to be Christian overseas workers. We need to be cows. I said, that's fine because you'll find us out in the field. So that's fine. That works really well. It, it hasn't taken off, actually. We're still missionaries. <laughs> Second term, second term to look at, to define, we are not all evangelists, but we are all witnesses. Jesus didn't say, the Spirit will come on you, you will receive power to be my missionaries or to be my evangelists, to be my witnesses, okay? So we are not all missionaries, but we are all witnesses. We are not all evangelists, but we are all witnesses. You can't say to God, God, I'm not a missionary or evangelist, therefore I'm not going to do any of this sharing the gospel stuff. I'm not going to talk to any. You see? No. We're, we're all of us witnesses. Some witnesses are missionaries as well. Some witnesses are evangelists as well. But we are all witnesses 
The Great Commission, which has disappeared, the Great Commission is for all of us, not just for missionaries and an evangelist. What's, so what's an evangelist then? Uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there's the fivefold ministry of the church, the, the Spirit giving gifts to the church so the church might be built up. Uh, and evangelists are one of the five ministries that are mentioned. So it seems to be a, a particular gifting of the Holy Spirit uh, that there are evangelists. And, uh, and my working hypothesis is that an evangelist is someone who has great facility in presenting the gospel. Okay, thank you. So that's for all of us. It's not just for missionaries and evangelists. It's for witnesses. It's for all of us. The Great Commission is for all of us. So um, an evangelist is someone who, who just seems to be able to, to um, articulate the gospel in a particularly powerful and effective way such that people respond and, and come to Jesus in an incredible way. They're very effective. They're effective in their speaking and they're effective in the response that they have. That's an evangelist. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm not an evangelist. I teach at NETS. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Bible lecturer. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a witness, but I'm not an evangelist. <laughs> okay. um, so I think Billy Graham. Okay. Think, think particular Christians who are particularly good at, at putting the gospel into words that people can, non-Christians can get a grasp of and non-Christians can respond to in a positive way. They're, they're effective in their speaking and they're effective in the response that they have. To me, that's an evangelist. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives uh, some people a, particularly, a particular evangelistic gift. But we're not all evangelists, but we are all witnesses. There's a little encouragement here. One, one reason why we maybe don't want to go out and talk to non-Christians or, or feel nervous about it or feel, feel that it's difficult or too challenging is that we, we stop calling ourselves witnesses. We start, thinking, we start thinking that God, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, God called us converters. The Holy Spirit will come on you with power, you will receive power, and you will be my converters. And you will go from Jerusalem, Judea, and some of the ends of the earth. God does not call us to convert people. He calls us to be witnesses. Our job is just to witness, just to share. Share our own gospel story, share Bible truths. Yeah? That's, that's all God is asking us to do. He's only asking us to share. He's not asking us to convert people. God, God is the one who converts people. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Do you see? It, it, to me, that takes some of the pressure off what God is asking us to do. He's not asking us to go out there and convert the world. He's asking us to go out there and share the gospel with the world and leave the converting up to him and the Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will take that message. He will do the converting. Okay? Our job is just to be a witness to the truth, just to share it. Share the truth and, let, and leave the results with God. Does that take some of the pressure off? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's crucial. We've got Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses, not you will be my converters or inverters or whatever. You know, you know, no, we're, not, we're not to convert people. We're just to be witnesses to them, to share with them. It somehow takes the pressure off. Witnessing. Witnessing is not just with our mouths. Witnessing is not just telling people about the gospel. That's what we focused on so far, haven't we? The idea of mission or evangelism or witness is, is talking, speaking. 
But bear in mind, witnessing is not just our words, it's our actions, it's our lifestyle. This is, I, I love, there's been so many sermons, we're going through John Piper's book. They, all those talks have been encouraging us to live a life of holiness. To not, in other words, not, not, not just to be spiritual babies. This is great, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then, you know, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. The, the command is to go and make disciples, not go and make converts, okay? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And, and so that's what we need to be. We need to become disciples. It's great to be converted. Born again, when you're born again, you're a spiritual baby. But you don't want to spend your life in church a spiritual baby. You need to grow. Okay? You need to mature. And that's Christ-likeness and holiness. And as, as you become a disciple and an effective follower of Christ, as, as, Jesus, as the Holy Spirit changes you, as you become more Christ-like, automatically your life will be a witness as well. Okay? Non-Christians will look at your Christian life, and when you actually get to the point of opening your mouth, they will actually listen to you because they've already seen that your life is different. Yeah? Non-Christians will not listen to a Christian who's living just the same way as they are because what's the point? What have you got to say? You're just the same as me. Okay. So witnessing is not just words. It's our lifestyle, our holiness. Uh, one reason we become disciples is because that's a witnessing, that's a powerful testimony. Our, our character, our Christ-likeness, our holiness. As we become more like Jesus that will become a more powerful witness to people as we interact with them. They will see the difference that Christ makes in our lives, and then they will listen, hopefully, anyway. So there's a little, little sentence, a little phrase that rolls off the tongue nicely about this. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Got that? Good. Okay? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Okay, your, your character, who you are, speaks louder than the words. People don't listen to your words, they look at who you are first. Okay, so becoming disciples and following Christ and, and becoming more like Jesus is also on the witness track. That's also helping us witness. You got the point. Look at some Bible verses now. Oh, excuse me if I can take a little break here. So these, we're, we're trying to go... Very quickly through the Bible. I'm not going to preach on any of these things. I'm just going to uh, uh, talk about them quickly. <laughs> um, starting in Genesis. We'll start in Genesis chapter 12, the covenant with Abraham. So uh, from the very beginning, uh, when God chose a people for himself, God had more in mind than that one people that he had chosen. Uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Go is an important word this morning. <laughs> okay. And the Lord says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay? So when God chose Abraham and, and the nation, the Jews, the, the Jewish nation that came from Abraham, God, God had more in view than just choosing a people for himself. Oh, it's nice. Here is me and my people. Here's me and my crew. Okay. That's, God had more in view in that because he wanted his crew to go and do something which was to tell the other nations. Do you get the idea? 
God chose Abraham and the Jews so that they would tell the Gentiles and share the blessings. The story of the Old Testament is how they failed to do that. Okay? The Jews in the Old Testament were the first picture we had. The six people faced into each other. Okay? The Jews only, really only focused on themselves, their entire Old Testament history. They were only worried about themselves. The Gentiles who were outside, they called them Gentile dogs. They weren't interested in talking to the Gentiles. Okay? And, and so they, they said, we're going to look after ourselves and preserve ourselves and keep ourselves from being infected from the Gentiles. We're going to turn inward and, and go inward. And do you know what happened? Because they failed to be outward looking and failed to reach out to the Gentiles, they nearly lost who they were. They were their, their number one priority was who they were, their survivability as a nation under God, and they nearly lost it. Okay? Did you know there were how many tribes of Israel? Twelve. Wrong. Thirteen tribes of Israel. Joseph, remember him? <laughs> Uh, Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt. Uh, he married an Egyptian priestess and had two sons, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, sorry, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay? Now, in Jewish culture, uh, for your children, you know, what is a Jew? The definition of a Jew is someone whose mother is a Jew. Okay? It doesn't matter who the father is. Okay? Okay? If your mother is a Jew, you're a Jew. So Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, they were not... Jews, they were not part of the covenant because the mother was a Gentile, okay? And remember the story, Joseph hears that his dad is sick and he takes the two boys and he runs them, he runs them to Jacob who's dying. And, <clears throat> and Joseph knows his time is short because he knows his two sons are not in the covenant. Here's the, cov here's the covenant, Genesis 12, the covenant between God and Abraham, his two boys are outside the covenant because their mother is Egyptian. So he brings them to Jacob for a blessing. Okay? What's, what, what's that blessing? That blessing is adoption. Okay? Joseph, <clears throat> the son of Jacob, wants his dad to adopt his grandsons. Okay? Jacob's grandsons are Manasseh and Ephraim. <laughs> so, so Joseph brings his sons, his grandsons, to Jacob you, you bless them so that they will become, you adopt them as your sons. Do you get the idea? Okay. So if you look in all the maps of the Old Testament, there's no land of Joseph. Joseph is not given any land because Joseph doesn't exist anymore. It's Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay. If you, if you notice the story, well, Jacob crossed his arms. As, you know, uh, the right hand of blessing is for the firstborn. Uh, and, and Joseph brought them with, with Manasseh under uh, Jacob's right hand, and Jacob crossed and he, he put his right hand on Ephraim, because Ephraim would be greater. That's, you can read all that stuff anyway. But, but, so, okay, so if, that's why we have 13 tribes, okay? So Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph, but then he adopted Joseph's, so 11 plus 2 equals 13, yes, okay. So we have the 13 tribes of Israel, okay. <clears throat> And what happened after Solomon? After Solomon died, the kingdom split Israel to the north. The ten tribes of Israel split away uh, and they disappeared. The Assyrians came along a couple of hundred years later and, and destroyed them, removed them. Uh, those ten tribes no longer exist. There were, <clears throat> so in the south, the kingdom of Judah, 
excuse me, <clears throat> there were only three tribes left. So the Jewish nation turned in on themselves, refusing to go and share the blessings with the Gentiles. They've now, they're now lost 10. ten. They're down from 13 to 3. Okay? Jacob, Benjamin, and Levi. Okay? So Adam Levine, yes, he is a Levi. Okay. Okay? True? Absolutely true. Okay. So there are three, there are, or any Jew you meet now is only from Judah or Benjamin or Levi. All the ten, all those other ten tribes of Jews, those other ten nations of Jews have disappeared. The Assyrians destroyed them. Can you see how close they got? And then those three, they kept turning, those three made a little triangle turned in on themselves. They were only worried about themselves now. And then the Babylonians came along and took them into exile. Wow. Jerusalem was destroyed, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the walls were knocked down, and, and the people are in Babylon. I mean, the, the Jews who were so concerned with themselves and who ignored the mission have almost come to a complete existence failure. They've almost ceased to exist. Do you see? Their number, one, their number one concern was themselves and their own survival, and what happened? They, didn't, they nearly didn't survive. You see what I mean about a church turned in on itself, worried about itself. God's standing there saying, you need to be looking outwards. Okay? You're not, if you're so worried about yourself, that's the last thing you'll actually achieve. Spiritual hypochondriacs. Yeah. Some doubted the answer was to go. Yeah. Be, fo, turned outwards. You get the idea. You get the idea. Okay. So that's Genesis 12. Very quick. <clears throat> uh, this was confirmed in the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 49, uh, verse 6, says this. Excuse me, we will get there. Uh, so so God, God has had a Gentile focus, uh, even though he chose the Jews as his own people. He, he chose the Jews to be his missionaries to the rest of the world, and they failed. Uh, this is what God says about this. Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see? In God's eyes, it's too small a thing for the Jews to save themselves and to be internal. Okay? God has more in view. Uh, he's chosen his people to be outward focused, to, to reach out, to be a light to the Gentiles. The book of Jonah, scratch your head, uh, was, was it a big fish? Was it a whale? Doesn't matter, it's a red herring. Uh, the book of Jonah is, is there to illustrate this failure. Okay, Jonah, chosen by God, one of the Jews, to go to a Gentile nation, the Assyrians, to preach the gospel, uh, and Jonah said, no thanks, instead of going east, I'm going west. And he went to Tarshish in a boat. <clears throat> now, we, we often think, okay, uh, Jonah is an example of uh, failure to obey the Lord, okay? <laughs> the thing is, Jonah was already a successful prophet. He had a track record as a successful prophet of God. Second uh, Kings 14, verse 25, says this. Second Kings 14, verse 25. <clears throat> if I can find it, sorry. Um, yeah. 
Uh, Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepha. That's Jonah. That's the Jonah of the book of Jonah before God sends him off to the Assyrians, okay? So God chooses Jonah to be a prophet, and God sends him to his own people, and Jonah says, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to talk to my people. And he does it well, and, God, and he's successful, and his, his words of prophecy come true. And God says, okay, Jonah, well done. Tick, 10 out of 10 for your home mission. Now I'm going to send you off to the Gentiles. Jonah says, no way, I'm not going to the Gentiles. Lord, you send me to the Jews. I'm not going to the Gentiles. So, so the book of Jonah is, is, is there to, to be a, a picture in microcosm. In one man, Jonah in his own ministry uh, is a picture of the failure of the entire people. Okay? Uh, it's, the Jews were happy to look after themselves. They ignored the Gentiles. Jonah was happy to minister to his own people. He didn't want to talk to the outsiders. Well, we're in 2 Kings, very quickly. A little story. Uh, the Jews got it wrong, but there's a group of people who got it right. And they're lepers. Fantastic. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 to 9. Uh, this is a, the, the, a, sea, a city being sieged. Elisha's in the city. Uh, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? So uh, the, the city's under siege. The gates are locked. To stop, the, to stop the guys coming in, invading the city. Now, these four lepers, tragically, they tried to run to the gate, but the gates shut before they could get in, and now they're standing at the gate, okay? The gates are behind them, and they're facing the enemy army camped outside the city. That's the situation. Why stay here until we die? If they stay at the gate, they're going to die. If we say, we'll go into the city, you know, knock on the door and hope they let us in, the famine is there, and we will die. Yeah. If we stay here, we will die. It's, I like this clarity of thinking you get at the end of life. Okay. Uh, so let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, <laughs> yes, yeah, we die. Okay. Uh, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they, that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. They left all their treasure, all their possession, all their equipment, because that slows you down when you're running for your life. They left it all behind. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank. They left the food and drink behind. Uh, carried away silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent. Do, do more of this. This is good. Okay, wow. Okay. Tent number two, guys. Let's see what we can find. Okay. And they took some of the things from the second tent and hid them also. So they're, they're going from tent to tent and digging holes in the ground and hiding all the stuff. This is fantastic. Serve them right back in the city for closing the gates on us. <laughs> okay. Then they said to each other, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. See? If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. 
Their eyes were suddenly opened. They had all the treasure, all the wealth, all the riches. They had it, and they were keeping it to themselves. They were a little circle of four lepers turned in on themselves. They weren't looking outwards. Get the point? Christians, we have the message of salvation. We have the gospel of salvation. Let us not keep it to ourselves, please. Don't make the mistake that God's people did. So don't be a Jew, be a leper, okay? That's, that's the lesson for today. Good. Okay. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, we had this holy, holy, holy song. That was great. Uh, what was the first song? Um, the, yeah, the, 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 the Lord is mighty to save. Well, how will the Lord save? By us going and telling. How else will the Lord save? Lord is mighty to save, but I'm not going to speak to any non-Christians. Well, how's that going to work? Okay. If the Lord is mighty to save, the first thing he's got to do is turn us outward and send us out. Then he can be mighty to save. But a little picture, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the call of Isaiah. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Seraphs are angels, of their fire angels. Uh, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, as we sang this morning, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is the full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, and he's holy and I'm sinful. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. <laughs> what, what's your reaction if a fiery angel flying towards you at Mark 2 with a, with a living coal of fire in his hand? <laughs> he goes, say your prayers, guys. You know, you're not here much longer. What did he do? With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I, so, so God has saved uh, Isaiah. Isaiah sees the holiness of God and all he can see is his own sinfulness, but God takes it away. God takes the sinfulness away and in a sense establishes Isaiah as, as, a, as, a, as a mouthpiece for him. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Actually, that was going to be the subtitle for the talk. Here I am. Send him. How, how God, God needs people to speak for him. How will he be mighty to save if we don't, if we're not willing to go and be sent and tell? Yeah, here am I. Here are we, Lord. Send us. Yes. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Little stories, well-known stories. Uh, this is at uh, Matthew 5, verse 13. Um, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Can you see the Jews in the Old Testament, they lost their saltiness and God, God threw them away. Ten tribes disappeared and the three that were left got, were sent into exile and nearly didn't survive. They lost their saltiness and God said, almost threw them away. Did you know the church, the church can repeat the mistake of the Old Testament Jews? We, we can be 
like the first circle. We can be so focused in on ourselves, we, f we forget to reach out, we forget to turn outwards. We, the church risks repeating the mistakes of the Old Testament Jews and, and being thrown out and discarded. God says, well, if you're not going to go, I'll find someone else. Thank you very much. Yes? The salt can lose its saltiness. How does the salt lose its saltiness? Okay, well, yeah, that's not very salty. The salt is on the inside. The salt... How does the salt lose? The salt loses its saltiness if it stays in here. Yeah? That's not salty. The idea of salt is you sprinkle it on the food and it, it flavors the food. The salt, this is the church. If the salt all stays in here, the salt has lost its saltiness. It'll be thrown out. Okay? So this is, this is, the, inter, this is the internally focused church. All the salt's on the inside. It's not being shaken out. Did you know Christians are like manure? Did you know that? Christians are like manure. Yes. If you put them in a big heap, if they stay in a big heap all at the same time for too long, they start to smell. Okay? You know that? that? But you don't keep manure in a heap. That's not the point of manure. The point is to take the manure off the heap and spread it out thinly on the land, then it helps fertilize the land and produces a crop and a harvest. Yeah? We're not meant to be heaped up, all turned in on ourselves all the time. Okay? The salt is not meant to be kept in here all the time. It's meant to be shaken out in the world. That's how it can lose its saltiness. You are the light of the world, says Jesus, verse 14. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, be like Vinto. Uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, disciples, and praise your Father in heaven. How many of you go into a dark room, put the light on, and then put, put a bucket on the light? Sorry. Don't bother putting the light on then. Okay, it's it's Jesus is being silly, funny with his with his statement. Nobody does that. Put the light. God has lit a light in us, a flame in us, and we need to shine. We don't squash it, put a bucket on it, and refuse to go out. We we've got a light to shine out there. God switched it on. We need to shine. Have you seen that? Have you seen that wonderful picture of the guy with a brand new solar panel on his roof? Yeah, and he's put he's put. He's put a shade on the top of the solar panel. <laughs> Have you seen that? <laughs> nobody puts a solar panel on their roof and then puts a nice shade over the solar panel. Yeah, nobody puts the light on, then he puts a bucket over the light. Uh, Luke chapter 15, the, the parable of the, the lost sheep. Have you noticed that the shepherd leaves the 99? Yeah? The shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one lost sheep. The church is the 99, and the shepherd leaves that. So church, church is fine. Let the church look after itself. I'm going out after the one lost sheep. That's, that's what we need to do. Jesus, we had another song here. Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And that's, that's a sad fact. Uh, John 15, uh, the, the, the parable of the vine. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Jesus talks about what he wants us to do, why he has chosen us. Uh, John 15, uh, uh, 16, you did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you and appointed you, you all, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Okay? I've so we, got, we are chosen and appointed for a task, and that task is to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Back to the C.S. Lewis quote, okay? 
Turning someone from hell to heaven is eternal fruit. That's fruit that will last. That's, that's the fruit that Jesus has appointed us to produce. <laughs> that we should go out and produce an eternal harvest. Not a, not a harvest of this world, but a harvest for eternity. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, How shall they hear? You know, how shall they call on the name of the Lord? Uh, you know, and, and basically he follows it through and says, you know, they, they need to be sent. God needs to send people. People need to go so that people will hear and, and be saved. We're coming to a close, coming to a conclusion. Ezekiel. Uh, let's f- look at Ezekiel's example. Ezekiel chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first two verses. This is a little study here on, uh, on Ezekiel's call. Uh, just to see that what God did for Ezekiel, he also does for us. So here you go, Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God said, uh, and this is Ezekiel writing, God said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. This, this is how God brings us to himself. Uh, before we get there. <laughs> before we get there. Just, yeah. uh, he, he, in a sense, God asks us to stand up. We, when, when we hear the gospel... God says, stand up, and we hear God's words speak to us, and the Spirit comes into us. That's, that's being born again, born again or born from above. It's the same in the Greek word, same Greek word. Uh, this, this, is, this is being converted. So uh, uh, this, is, this is the beginning of our Christian life. For Ezekiel, the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to everybody. It was given just to a few people for special occasions. And so on this, uh, this occasion, the Spirit coming into Ezekiel is to commission him as God's prophet. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, then the second, second slide, please. Uh, God moves on. Ephesians 3, 1 to 3. Uh, and he, next thing. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. So... God did not only give Ezekiel the the Holy Spirit so that he would have the power to be God's prophet. He didn't leave him there. He gave him, actually gave him the words that he should speak, the the, the words that he should minister. And it was sweet as honey in his mouth. So Ezekiel is empowered and he's provided with the words to say, the message. Okay, it's not his own message. God gives him the message himself. Next slide, please. Jump to verse... 12. Uh, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. The sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. This sounds like a missionary flying off to Namibia from America or UK. Then the, the Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. Uh, I, have we got it? Yep. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River, the exiles in Babylon. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, overwhelmed. God not only calls and empowers Ezekiel to do the work, he not only gives him the words to say that he's to speak to others, he then transports him to the mission field. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to spend money on getting to the mission field? You know, you're just sitting here and the Spirit just puts you in Vinduk and you save so much money. It'd be fantastic. Okay. Um, but, but God 
does the third thing. God then places Ezekiel in the place where he wants him to minister and amongst the people to whom he sends with that message. Get the idea? It's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Okay. Now, the thing is, whatever God has done for Ezekiel in these three slides, he has done for us. He has saved us and put his spirit in us to empower us for mission and evangelism. He's given us the words that we say, okay, and... He, he is able to move us to the right place to go. He says, go. And, and we need to cooperate with God and go. Okay? Move, move to the people. See, the, the, going, the going doesn't have to be physical. Okay? Now, Brian and Dana came from America to Namibia. We came from the UK to Namibia. We actually had to go. We had to leave somewhere and go to Namibia. But... All of us need to go in the sense of turning, from turning inwards, we need to turn outwards. We need to go. We need to stop talking to Christians and start talking to non-Christians. That's going. Do you get the idea? That's going. We might, we might not leave into it, but we still need to go because we need to change the community of the people we're talking to, who we're interacting with. We need to go to the lost. Finally, and um, I will try, don't worry about these next words, I will explain them, 16 to 19. <laughs> Thank you. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. Uh, but if you do not, if, sorry, but if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Now, be, be, rejoice people that this does not apply to us today, okay? God does not hold us accountable for, <laughs> for their blood if they refuse the message. This is, this is Ezekiel's particular situation as an Old Testament prophet of God. Actually, all the Old Testament prophets of God were in this position. They were accountable to God if they failed to speak. They were called by God to speak the message, and if they failed to speak the message, God, God held the prophet accountable. That's what's going on here. Okay? It's not the same for us today. Honest. Okay? So that we, God does not want us to do evangelism out of fear. This is the wrong reason for doing evangelism, for avoiding being responsible for people's blood. Okay, that's the wrong reason. Okay, so that, that doesn't apply. But the great thing is, no, there is no prophet that I can think of in the Old Testament who actually failed to speak. They all faithfully spoke the message that God gave them, and they, they all avoided being responsible for the deaths by not speaking. None of them failed to speak out. But even Jonah spoke out, grumpy, grumpy. Repent, or the city will be destroyed in three days. Uh, well, that's his message. At least he spoke, fairly grumpily, but he, but he spoke. There, there is no prophet who failed to speak when God told them to speak. So this actually didn't happen in the Old Testament. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen in the New Testament, <laughs> thank goodness. Okay? God no longer holds us responsible for other people's uh, unwillingness to convert. Okay? Uh, it's quite clear in the New Testament. Each, each of us are responsible to God for our own sins. <laughs> Uh, they're not to be passed on, on to others. But, but what it does do, it shows us the responsibility that we do have to share the gospel, yeah? It shows how much God wants us to do it. God has given us his spirit. God has given us the words to say. It is God who moves us to the people he wants us to speak. 
Therefore, the final link in the chain is just that we would open our mouths for goodness sake and tell people. Yeah, that's all we have to do. God has done everything else. He's left us the easy bit. Talking to non-Christians. Anyway, but you get the idea. All those three first steps were the difficult steps. Being empowered by the Spirit, having God's words, being moved to the right place, being placed in the right place. All we have to do is open our mouths and share what God has given us to share. Finally, thank you for sticking with me this far. Finally, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because I don't want to leave it in the Old Testament. I want to bring it into the new bring this into the New Testament. Bring Ezekiel into the New Testament. This is how Paul summarized uh, that what God is doing when he is trying to stop the church being an inward-focused organization only, when, when God is trying to get the church to, to turn outwards as well. This is what God is doing. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 uh, to 21. Paul says this, For Christ's love does what? Compels us. When we, when we experience and know the love of Christ, it drives us outwards. We, we, we almost have no option of going out. We're compelled to go out. We, we, we can't sit at home. Were you watching the, were you, were you watching the, the Springbok games? One point, one point, one point. I couldn't sit down and watch the. I had to stand up. The, 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 the pressure of the, of the Springboks compelled me to stand up. I couldn't sit down and relax and watch the game. I had, I had to stand up and walk around. Yeah? You're, you're moved. The, the Christ's love compels us, moves us, gets us, gets us to go. Why? Uh, be, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, turned in on themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We've, we're all called into mission. Verse 16, as C.S. Lewis said, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're all potential gods and goddesses or demons. Everyone you meet is either a demon or a god, eventually. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So we shouldn't do so lo any longer with the people of this world either. Therefore, says Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, but notice, and and gave us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, God has done, in, in New Song Family Church, God has done both of these things. Okay, He has reconciled us, all of us, to himself through Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to go and tell now. Okay, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to them, oh, to us, okay, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is how God is mighty to save. He makes his appeal through us. We implore you, says Paul, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are therefore, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal 
through us. God wants to make his appeal to Vintuk through us. Are we up for it? Are we going to cooperate? Are we going to do it? Let's pray. Lord, you have done an amazing reconciling, reconciliating work. <laughs> uh, and Lord, your, your message, your reconciliating work has reached each one of us. We, we have responded uh, and, and received the spirit of power to enable us to be witnesses. You have given us the, the words that we need to say, the message of reconciliation. Uh, Lord, you have put us in our places to reach out to those who do not know you. And Lord, it's almost as if you are making your appeal to the world through us. Lord, help us play our part. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.